Douglas Summers, an Australian Test Cricket History Podcast. Season 2, Episode 14, All Quiet on the Cricket Front. After the disaster of the 1912 Tour of England, Australian cricket had time to pause and mend the rifts. No tests were scheduled for some time, as the MCC hadn't announced any plans for a follow-up tour to the 1911-12 trip, whilst the Australian board wasn't planning to head back to England until 1916. From the early days when it seemed that tours would depart every two years either way between Australia and England, the increasing importance of domestic competitions and tours of other countries starting to become more profitable meant that the Ashes cycle seemed to be settling into a four-year home-and-away structure. The 1912-13 Shield season still had some remnants of the disputes of the previous years, Ernie being manoeuvred behind the scenes to try and get Warwick Armstrong replaced as the captain of Victoria. Armstrong was considered to be a blustering and autocratic character, but his tactical acumen and the players' admiration of him kept him in the job, as was still the players' right to choose their captain. The Shield season was, in many ways, dominated by the key players who had boycotted the 1912 summer. All three Shield sides were led by defectors, with Hill still in charge of South Australia and Trump in New South Wales to go with Armstrong in Victoria. All three put in big performances throughout the season. Trumper would hit a dazzling run-a-minute 201 in Sydney against South Australia, with McCartney also scoring a quick-fire 125, New South Wales put on 513 runs. In response, Hill scored 138 in a match New South Wales would eventually go on to win by 84 runs. Trumper's sparkling form continued in the next match against Victoria, scoring 138 after Armstrong had scored 118 in what was another victory for New South Wales. South Australia would go on to Eden Shield, however, winning three of their four games. The season was also important for the emergence of some younger players. Jack Ryder, an all-rounder from Victoria, claimed 22 wickets at 17 for the season, including 13 in a match against South Australia. Jack Massey from New South Wales, a left-arm fast-medium bowler and son of former Test bat Hugh Massey, also claimed 22 wickets, with only Bill Whitty claiming more with 25. 24-year-old Herbie Collins from New South Wales struggled in the Shield, but scored 282 against Tasmania, an innings which would have pleased his mentor, first Test centurion, Charles Bannerman. The highlight of the summer would be Victor Trumper's testimonial match between New South Wales and the rest of Australia. Monty Noble came out of retirement to support his friend, whilst the rest were led by Hill and featured Armstrong, Ransford, Maine, Matthews, Witty, Jack Crawford and Ryder. The crowd got what they wanted with another sparkling Trumper 100, whilst Ryder performed well in esteemed company, taking eight wickets for the match. Although the game ended in a draw due to rain, it was still the most lucrative testimonial held in Australia to that time, with Trumper receiving £2,950, or over 500000 in 2023 Australian dollars. However, during this season, Trumper contracted Bright's disease, a condition which causes a hardening of the kidneys. More and more, this would begin to affect the great batsmen over the coming years. Whilst the tour of North America that had followed the triangular tournament had not been a successful one on the field, it had led to a friendship between Edgar Maine and a local American promoter, Richard Benjamin. Benjamin contracted Maine to organise an Australian side to travel to North America for a more extensive tour in 1913. Whilst McElhone had now stepped down from the Australian cricket board, the players still had Ernie Bean to contend with. Bean, who had taken over as chairman, refused to grant board assent for the tour, but the players proceeded to travel anyway, although it was an unofficial team. Maine's biggest coup was to get Trumper to agree to tour. McCartney, Bardsley, Emery and Jack Crawford, all test players, made the trip, whilst younger players like Herbie Collins and Arthur Maley also toured. Maley was selected mainly due to the recommendation of Trumper, who thought Maley's googlies and leg breaks would help make up for the lack of an out-and-out pace bowler. However, two days before the team departed, Trumper had to pull out of the tour. With the New South Wales Cricket Association withholding access to his testimonial funds and the failure of his many business ventures, he couldn't afford to go. 
In his place, the team elected Austin Diamond, originally from England, but had been playing for New South Wales since 1899, as their captain. The tour was a big success, with the Australians winning 49 of their 53 matches. McCartney hit seven centuries, whilst Bardley made six, with McCartney also topping the bowling averages with 189 wickets at 3.81. Crawford would take the most wickets with 213, whilst Maley would also claim 183. Their only loss came against the Germantown Club, a team from the US state of Maryland. It was hoped that the tour would promote cricket in the United States and Canada to the extent that they'd reach the level of a team like South Africa. The English took part in the next Test Tour following the Triangular Tournament, heading to South Africa at the end of 1913 for a five-test series. This season will mark a big changing of the guard for South Africa, with only Herbie Taylor, Dave Norse and wicketkeeper Tommy Ward playing big roles in the series from those who had played before in 1912. Of all the new players for South Africa, only Jimmy Blankenberg, who took 19 wickets, played in all five tests. With so much turnover, the series was a disaster for the home side, with the English winning four of the five tests. The English had sent a strong side, with Hobbs, Woolley, Rhodes, Douglas and Meade being strong in the batting. The real standout though was Barnes. The best bowler in the world utterly steamrolled the inexperienced South Africans on their matting pitches. He took 17 wickets in the second test match, a world record at the time which wouldn't be surpassed until 1956. Overall, he claimed 49 wickets in the opening four tests, with only Herbie Taylor really able to resist him, with seven five-wicket hauls and three ten-wicket matches. This remains a record for the most wickets in the series and took Barnes to a total of 189 test wickets, going past Hugh Trumbull as a leading wicket-taker in test cricket. He missed out on reaching 200 wickets due to a financial dispute with tour management, leading to him boycotting the final match. This would be the final time that 40-year-old Barnes would feature in Test cricket. He would continue playing league cricket until 1934, finally retiring at the age of 61. He would live on until 1967, passing away at the age of 94. He was named one of the six giants of the wisdom century in 1963 and was an inaugural inductee into the International Cricket Hall of Fame. When the ICC Test Bowling Rankings were calculated back to the beginning of tests, Barnes stood at the top with a peak of 932, a figure which has yet to be surpassed. The 1913-14 Shield season was taking place concurrently whilst the English were eviscerating South Africa. New South Wales won three of their four games to take out the Shield. Despite Trumper being unable to play much due to his ongoing financial issues, the New South Wales batting was still strong with new captain McCartney averaging 89, Bardsley and Collins averaging in the 60s, whilst Callaway averaged in the high 40s. They did lose the bowling of Horden, who officially retired from first-class cricket to focus on his dental career, but Jack Massey claimed 31 wickets, with only Crawford claiming more with 33. The other sides lacked the depth of New South Wales to compete with them. Victoria finished in last place, but did continue to unearth young talent. Ryder followed up his previous year with 22 wickets and his first shield century whilst 21-year-old Roy Park set about establishing himself, scoring a century against South Australia. Late 1913 also saw the final state, Western Australia, gain a seat at the Board of Control. However, they were only granted one position, as opposed to the three that the other states held. Western Australia would be denied access to the Sheffield Shield until 1947 and wouldn't host a test match until 1970. Whilst the Shield season was ongoing, a team from New Zealand toured the Australian states. Australia looked down on New Zealand cricket, with a disdain continuing for many years after New Zealand became a test nation. The side pushed Queensland all the way, going down by 12 runs. However, they were smashed by both New South Wales and Victoria by an innings. They fared better against South Australia, with a competitive draw. When the New Zealanders returned home, they were accompanied by an Australian side, organised by Arthur Sims, a former New Zealand cricketer. He had contacted Monty Noble and Frank Labor, asking them to organise a side to visit his country. Sims was able to attract high-quality players as he promised that all profits would be shared amongst the players. Because of this, the board refused to sanction the tour, but once again the players went anyway. 
With Labor as tour manager, Sims led a side that included Noble, Trumper, Armstrong, Ransford, Collins, Maley, and Crawford. They obliterated most of their opposition, which sometimes included former Australian Test player Jack Saunders, not losing any of the 15 matches played. Trumper was the out-and-out star of the tour. Against Canterbury, he scored 293, sharing a world-record eighth-wicket partnership with Sims of 433 and averaged 70 across the first-class matches. Ransford also averaged 70 with the Armstrong 60. Armstrong also stood out with the ball, taking 52 wickets, whilst Maley claimed 30. Jack Crawford, who scored a record 354 against South Canterbury, as well as taking 21 wickets in the first-class matches, ended up moving to play for Otago the following season after having a financial dispute with South Australia, ending his five-year stint in Australia. Coming back the other way was 23-year-old leg spinner Clary Grimmett. Grimmett had played for Wellington against the Australians without taking a wicket, but would move to Sydney to further his ambition to play Test cricket. With an unauthorised team also visiting Ceylon, today's Sri Lanka, during the 1913-14 season, it seemed as if the board was once again losing control of the players. However, over the winter of 1914, things began to improve in the relations between the two. With McElhone retired, the biggest player in New South Wales cricket was now Sid Smith, the board secretary, who worked closely with Warwick Armstrong to normalise relations. McAllister was demoted back to only a Victorian selector, whilst Bean was sidelined. Thus, when the board outlined key rules going forward, that all profits will be shared among the constituent states, that players selected for tours must be approved by the board, and that managers and treasurers will be board appointed, there was little protest. Relations were normalised to the extent that, when Benjamin approached players looking for a follow-up tour of North America, they told him to go through the board of control, something that never would have happened even a year before. The board was now deep in planning for the next phase of cricket tours. A test tour of South Africa was to go ahead for 1914-15, whilst the next tour of England in 1916 was to be preceded by the first Australian team to visit the West Indies. This latter bit was complicated somewhat when German authorities asked the board to send a team to the 1916 Olympics in Berlin. The decision to attend the Olympics came down to a single vote, with the proposal being declined. The signs of reproachment were demonstrated clearly when Clem Hill agreed to be the national selector for South Australia once again, especially so when the Victorian selector was to be Ernie Bean. Along with Les Poitivan from New South Wales, they met on the 20th of June to select the side to go to South Africa. Many players made themselves unavailable, including Hill who maintained his decision to retire from test matches. Trumper also declined to tour, joining Minnett, Horton and Ransford. It was determined that Armstrong would captain the side, giving him his first opportunity to lead an Australian test team. The side also included Bardsley, Callaway, McCartney, Witty, Hazlitt, Karkik and Main, all of whom had played Test cricket, as well as younger players such as Jack Ryder and Fred Baring from Victoria, Tommy Andrews and Eric Barber from New South Wales, and Johnny Moyes from South Australia. After the announcement of the side, Hazlitt and Barber dropped out, replaced by Bert Falkard from New South Wales and Roy Park from Victoria. However, a week after the team was initially announced, a Serbian nationalist shot Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo. After a month of increasing tensions, the nations of Europe began declaring war on each other. When Britain declared war against Germany on the 4th of August, Andrew Fisher, who would go on to win the ongoing election campaign to become Prime Minister, declared that Australia would stand beside the mother country to the last man and the last shilling. The Borg decided to delay the South African tour a year expecting that England would succeed quickly in its war with Germany, allowing regular cricket service to resume. Because of this, the decision was made to proceed with the 1914-15 Sheffield Shield season as normal. Having lost Crawford the previous year, South Australia had convinced Charlie McCartney to move to the state on a big-money five-year deal, but with the outbreak of war, they rescinded the offer. Victoria won the Shield on percentage, just ahead of New South Wales, both of whom had three wins. Ryder and Park dominated with the bat, but the real star for Victoria was left-arm spinner Bert Ironmonger, who took 32 wickets. 
32-year-old Ironmonger had originally been from Queensland, but had been convinced to move to Victoria by Hugh Trumbull. Ironmonger, who had lost the top half of his left index finger as a young man in a farm accident, had masterful control of length and was able to work batsmen over with subtle variations. Victor Trumper took no part in the Shield season. He had helped select New South Wales sides, but his kidney disease was starting to cause him serious health issues. He was looked after by Dr. Herbert Bullmore, the grandfather of Kerry Packer. The disaster at Gallipoli in early 1915 put paid to any notion that the war would be short. Thus, pressure came on a lot of cricketers to join up to fight. All first-class cricket was abandoned post the 1914-15 Shield season in Australia, with similar stops in England and South Africa. Many cricketers would sign up for military service, including Tibby Cotter, Jack Massey, Johnny Moyes, Roy Park, Charlie McCartney, Charles Calloway, Herbie Collins and Norman Calloway. Calloway had debuted for New South Wales against Queensland in February 1915, scoring 207 in his own innings, becoming the first Australian to score a double century on first-class debut. Many other high-profile cricketers failed to sign up, often receiving white feathers in the mail, the symbol of cowardice for those who refused to fight. One who didn't sign up was Trumper, whose health continued to decline precipitously. His doctor sent him to hospital, but he didn't recover, passing away in his wife's arms on the 28th of June 1915. His death at the age of 37 was such a big story, it knocked the Gallipoli campaign off the front page of the newspapers in both Australia and England. His funeral was one of the most highly attended in Australian history. Monty Noble, Tibby Cotter, Sid Gregory, Hanson Carter, Warren Bardsley and Warwick Armstrong acted as pallbearers, whilst the procession of mourners was three miles long as he was buried at Waverley Cemetery. Trumper was the hero of what was considered to be the golden age of cricket, and widely considered the best batsman Australia had produced to that time. It was not only the weight of runs that he scored, but the way he did it that seared itself into the minds of many. His 48 test career saw him score over 3,000 runs at an average of 39, a fine result in the era of uncovered wickets and three-day tests, whilst at the time no one had hit more than his eight test centuries. He was a master of first-class cricket both in Australia and England, with his 1902 tour of England considered one of the finest performances by a visiting batsman. He was named as one of the six giants of the wisdom century, is a member of both the Australian and ICC Hall of Fames, and has a stand named after him at the SCG. Trumper was not the only famous cricketer to die during the war. W.G. Grace, the Colossus of Cricket and another of the Wisdom Six, passed away from a stroke in 1915 at age 67, having continued playing cricket up until the previous year. Albert Trott and Andrew Stoddart both committed suicide, whilst Albert's brother Harry passed away in an insane asylum in 1917. Jerry Hazlitt, who had first played for Australia as a 19-year-old in 1907, died of a heart attack shortly after Trumper in 1915 at the age of 27. Hazlitt, who played nine tests and took 23 wickets, had suffered from a weak heart all his life and had defied doctor's orders to continue to play cricket up until his death. As the war dragged on, more and more cricketers took up arms. Australian players saw action at Gallipoli, on the Western Front and the Middle East. Some rose through the ranks to become officers, some served on the front lines, and others acted in support roles, such as Roy Park as a doctor. Many received wounds which impacted their cricket careers. Jack Massey suffered injuries at Lone Pine during the Gallipoli campaign in 1915, with shrapnel lodging behind his bowling shoulder, whilst also suffering from a punctured lung and broken ribs. He recovered enough to continue serving, rising through the ranks to become a lieutenant colonel. A German bomb then injured his right foot in 1918. These injuries prevented him from continuing a promising cricket career, having taken 99 wickets in only 16 first-class matches before the war. Johnny Moyes also served, winning the military cross. The impact of his service meant that he only played two matches after the war, before going on to be a successful cricket author and commentator for the ABC.
Across the war, 11 men who had played test cricket for their country were killed in action. Seven of these were South African, with the most high profile of these being two of the famed Googly Quartet. Gordon White, aged 36, was killed after taking part in a bayonet charge against the Turkish forces in Palestine in September 1918, only two months before the end of the war. His career spanned 17 tests and saw him hit 200s. The other to fall was Reggie Swartz, at the age of 43. He'd served on the Western Front and suffered numerous wounds. Recovering in hospital after the armistice, he fell victim to the Spanish flu plague that was sweeping the globe, unable to resist the virus in his weakened state. He claimed 55 wickets in his 20 tests. England lost three test cricketers as well as numerous others who had played at first class level. Ken Hutchings, who had played seven tests and scored a century in Melbourne in 1907, was hit by an artillery shell and killed instantly during the Battle of the Somme in 1916 at age 33. Major Booth, who played two tests on England's 1913-14 tour of South Africa and confusingly was only a second lieutenant in the army, died going over the top on the first morning of the Somme offensive. The third, Colin Blythe, signed up in 1914 to the Home Guard. Despite his epilepsy, he was conscripted in 1916 and served on the Western Front. He was instantly killed by shrapnel from a German shell during the Battle of Passchendaele in 1917. Claude Woolley, the brother of Test player Frank, was wounded in the same explosion, but survived, going on to play over 300 first-class games. Blythe was 38 at the time of his death, having played 19 tests and taking exactly 100 wickets. Harold Garnett, who toured Australia in 1901-02 without playing a test, was killed in December 1917. Eleven Australians who had played first-class cricket would also die during the war. Norman Calloway, who had sparkled as an 18-year-old debutant in 1915 for New South Wales, enlisted in 1916. He fought in the Battle of Arar, but went missing in May 1917, with his death being confirmed that September. That debut ended up being his only first-class appearance, meaning his score of 207 was also his average. It remains the highest first-class average of any player. Another two to die was Albert Tibby Cotter. He enlisted in the light horse, despite not being a great rider, in 1915. He fought at Gallipoli before being transferred with his battalion to the Middle East. He fought in the Battle of Gaza before taking part in the attack on Beersheba in October 1917. Working as a stretcher bearer, he was shot dead by a Turkish sniper at the age of 33. He played 21 tests and taken 89 wickets. A memorial plaque was unveiled at the SCG in 1919, whilst a new bridge taking patrons to the ground was named after Cotter, opening in 2015. The First World War was a cataclysmic time in the history of the world. No aspect of society remained untouched, and cricket was no exception. As the war wound to a close through 1918, though, people looked to bring back a sense of normality. The game of cricket, in its own small way, would contribute to the healing job society needed to undertake as people look to pick up the pieces of their shattered world. Thank you for listening. New episodes of Endless Summons will be released fortnightly. Please subscribe to be notified of new releases. You can also follow us on Twitter at pod underscore endless, and you can email us at endlesssummerpod at gmail.com.